specifically solo playing is it something that you do tremendously often is it something that's a rare occurrence for you it, it's fairly rare actually. okay yeah i don't do it very often i i love it when i do it mm -hmm. but it's it's a different challenge it's a different beast for sure. yeah it's especially as a monophonic instrument doesn't you know when you don't have any yeah you can't play chords or you can't play more than sure. one note at a time yeah, I was wondering if you could describe your approach to solo playing a little bit. Are you someone who prepares very specifically for each individual performance, or do you have sort of a general practice that you work on all the time and kind of just can snap into and play? Well, so, no, I don't have a, <clears throat> I don't really have a solo practice because I don't do it that much. So I guess I, I've done several um, solo gigs where I use different approaches, like. Sometimes I mapped it out a little bit. I'll go like, yeah, I'll arrive at this point or I arrive at this point. There's other times where I I played completely free. Um, occasionally I've taken um, parts from compositions that I wrote, but not my parts. Maybe the bass part or maybe the piano part, <clears throat> and then took little cells from there or whatever took my fancy, just if I wanted something to land on or something to draw inspiration of. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, quite a few times I've just, yeah, I've just completely played free. Like tonight, tonight there was only one moment where I um, drew on a piece, basically. Interesting. Yeah. And Two I, moments. Oh, yeah. Because, no, no, because, yeah. because I went into into um, Prelude to a Kiss just because ah, yeah, it sort yeah. of like ended up going there mm -hmm. in my head and then I took a little bit of a, a snippet of a piece that I had sitting mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Wow. And uh, since it's kind of a rare occurrence for you, do you find that the environment that you perform in 
sort of bears uh, any influence in what you end yeah. up doing in the performance? Is it a pretty big factor for you? It's really different. I mean, the room plays a massive role. Mm-hmm. I think the last solo gig I did was um, for an exhibition of um, um, Martina Roberts mm-hmm. um, quilt pieces in at the Friedman Gallery in New York. <clears throat> and it's a really big, old, boomy room in Tribeca. So, so, so there's like the sound really stays in the room. So you you definitely change the way you play. I, I remember in that performance walking around a lot because the sound changed so much in the room. Mm-hmm. And you could actually let the, you had this like natural, you could let the sound, if you played a loud, loud sound, it would just stay and you could play all this stuff over it. Wow. And if you moved around, it made this like swirling kind of effect. Mm-hmm. So the room has a lot to do with it. Here it's very intimate, you know, and, and very dry, so that shapes what you do, and um, yeah, for sure. The room is, I think, probably the biggest, <clears throat> the biggest mm-hmm. input. Yeah, in that. especially with an but, acoustic but, instrument. Yeah, That's, yeah. But okay. then also with a with Matana's Ma, uh, quills, there was I walked around the room before, and I, you know, I took it in, so that was beautiful. Yeah. You know, that gives you another layer. And that's something that you're really responding to in the space. Yeah, it's actually, not. It's it's, it's you, know. you respond to it like at least in my case, it's not pro, not in a sort of programmatic way, but in a in an abstract kind of way, just mm-hmm. because it makes you feel something. <laughs> Also, you know, how your your solo approach or many different approaches that you may take from solo performance to solo performance differs uh, from playing in so many different groups like you do, whether it be duos, trios, 
or larger, uh, more written groups. Yeah. Um, uh, I think for me, it's like everything influences everything. So, mm-hmm. like maybe tonight, I, like after tonight, I go back and I'll change something in my writing or some approach. Sometimes it's really small, and then and sometimes it's it's really massive. Um, and then, of course, if I write the music, it'll be different than if, for example, Chris Davis writes the music or Mary Halverson writes the music or whoever, yeah, in whoever's bands I play. Sometimes I have to deal, you know, this is their information and this is what they want to hear and this is what... Um, but they also want me to be myself. So, I've, mm-hmm. you know, I try, of course, respect their compositional approaches and their... Um, what they need mm-hmm. and yeah I yeah. think that is <clears throat> basically and what happens composition is a, a big component of your uh, musical life as well right I yes. mean you we were talking earlier about this big project that you've been working on which is more of an orchestra yeah. scale project of yeah. compositions of yours um, I was wondering if you could sort of talk about uh, that aspect of your music making and kind of maybe with the example of this large group, uh, sort of how this project came together and and how your thinking evolved, uh, compositionally speaking, getting into that. Yeah, I think, like at this point in time, I think it's that... So I used to see this much more separately, like I'm writing a tune, uh, sometimes in like the shape of a lead sheet, kind of a, you know, just like a jazz standard, a short tune. I feel like my writing got much more complex, but also um, incorporating what I'm hearing about it, that that really attracts me to improvise music. So that there's not, it's not like, um, it it's incorporated mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense to me. But I have not given up like in like I still like harmony, I still like rhythm, I still like um uh melody. So I'm trying to figure out ways of composing music that is especially in the large ensemble where I can I can use all of that and I can use texture, I can use all of these components, but still weave an improvisation and make it that it's not just like a separate entity. Mm-hmm. And there's things in imp- in improvised music that is that are so intangible, and so like you you, you almost cannot write them down. Um, but at the same time, if you if you listen to it, there there are like textures, or there's still moments of something emerging. There's there's dynamics, and I'm tr- just trying to whatever I hear in my head, I'm trying to um, somehow bring this into my compositional. Mm
I would imagine also that the individuals involved contribute a lot to yeah. sort of the way that you imagine the pieces as they come together. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about how maybe, for example, the personnel come together yes. on a project like this and how you sort of factor that into your composition. So, so this orchestra project, I mean, if I really like go back, this, the, I, I, I um, just recorded two orchestra pieces, the chamber orchestra and soloists. And the, ori the very origin of this first piece was um, basically that I always wanted to write for an orchestra. I was like, it was always one of those things that was totally unachievable. But I, I was like, kind of dying to get my hands on on that at the same time. And but not really trying because it was just ridiculous to you know who can afford that kind of thing. And then there is. Um, there's a course that George Lewis actually, I think, initiated. I think mm -hmm. it's he initiated it, uh, and it, it took <clears throat> where it's, it's basically like a workshop for jazz musicians who want to write for orchestra. And I took part in that. That, that took that was on the West Coast, and uh, you kind of submit a minute. You you go home from that course, write a minute of orchestral music submitted and if you get chosen you the, an orchestra will play it for you so the initial um the, the first piece that i wrote for this recording that i just did was basically um purely orchestral fully written out mm -hmm. which was a super great um uh challenge for an improvising musician because you really had to sit down and think of I didn't want to write like a, a a complete orchestra piece I mean I didn't want to write an orchestra piece imitating a classical piece I just wanted to write something that sounds like what's in my head <clears throat> but also of course needed to learn loads about those instruments involved so I did that the ACO read it and then I had a second chance to play it with an orchestra that was based around Anthony Braxton's Tricentric Foundation, or the Tricentric Foundation that supports Anthony Braxton. And in that uh, second performance, I had a chance to open it up and also involve improvisation, because the whole orchestra could deal with it. And <clears throat> we had Taylor Hobine, uh, we had um, Taylor Hobine conducting it, who was like conducting all these improvisations in the middle of it. And suddenly this was really new music to me. Mm -hmm. So for this recording, I wrote a second piece and I incorporated Taylor Hobinem. Um but to make these transitions smooth, I wrote, I, I fixed certain parts for the orchestral musicians during the improvisation, or I let them like, hang, whatever they were doing before, whatever was written before, I let them taper it out slowly, you know, just things that it, <laughs> just so that it wasn't like a complete like, oh, here we improvise, here we write, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I had also, I incorporated soloists. So Chris Davis, who's here next week, who's an absolutely brilliant piano player, um, is one of the soloists. Mary Halverson is another one. Nate Woolley on trumpet is another <laughs> one. And Josh Sinton on um, amplified contrabass clarinet okay. has, a, has a role in it too.
Yeah, maybe we can backtrack for a little bit and kind of explain how you got here. And, and you've been based in Brooklyn now for almost a decade. Is that true? Yeah, ninth year. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, how did you get there? And, you know, we spoke earlier about your time in London before that. I was wondering if you could give us a, a brief mm. little condensed timeline of sort of how we, we got here. <laughs> If that's not I, too I'm much too to ask, I know that's. That, <laughs> it's gonna take for long. No, it's gonna take yeah. a long time. <laughs> but maybe specifically, like Brooklyn, you know, within Brooklyn, the last ten well, years. Well, my husband is is American, mm -hmm. and I was living in London, and we had two years of long distance. And this is in a nutshell, but we had two years of long distance, and it got a little old. Mm -hmm. And um, he was pretty established here. And we basically said, I'll try it if it doesn't work. I was always curious about New York. It was, it was always an interesting place, of course, to go to. Although I felt I had a really good community in London. There's one of the community members here. Um, <laughs> no, we had a really good thing going in London. It was a, it was a nice community. It was, there were really good things happening. But I felt, um, I mean, New York out of all places is always an interesting, it's an interesting place for a um, somebody with my inclinations so mm -hmm. I said I'd, let's try it if it doesn't work out we can revert we can you know yeah. try London <laughs> All right, this is kind of a stock question but I've, I'm sure you've observed so much change in New York over the last nine years that you've been there um, if you could describe sort of how things have transformed or you know maybe in a major way or maybe in a minor way um, musically, musically or, yeah. yeah oh I, oh. I don't know. It's difficult to say. It's, it's sure. like there's there's so many musicians. There's always there's there are always new people coming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty vibrant. It's hard, yeah. but it's vibrant. Thank <laughs> you. 
Mm-hmm. 